in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Bunkers, Conspiracy Time Podcast. <laughs> as always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Oh, welcome, 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 one and all, to the greatest show on earth, oh, Mr. Bunkers, Conspiracy Time. Hey, Bunky Funkies. <laughs> hey, we're walking here. What are you doing? We're podcasting here. We're podcasting. Hey, hey, hey. What's the matter with you? Hey, if you're a new listener, we talk like this the entire show. You know, Art and I are famously both from the Northeast. <laughs> Generically, the Northeast. I know it's usually <laughs> typical for people. It's like, oh, I'm from Long Island. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Manhattan. I'm from Boston. We're from a pastiche places up in the Northeast. <laughs> from a pastiche, hashpage, smorgasbord. You pick your, pick your poison. And we live in Chicago. So, you know. <laughs> oh, Chicago. The Big Apple. The City of Lights. Ooh, baby. Never the city that never sleeps. The city the city's so nice they named it once. Chicago. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh, Chicago, the sunshine city in the sunshine state. You got to love it. You got to love it. You got to love Chicago. City of Angels. <laughs> Chicago, it's kind of my town. I love Chicago. I love going down to Trafalgar Square, <laughs> checking out the Thames. It's beautiful. Ooh, and the beaches of Chicago. Who doesn't love the beaches? In oh, Chicago? those white sand beaches those of Chicago. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. They got that 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 beautiful blue ocean Ooh, water. Oh my god, Just that for, ocean. As far as you can see. That salt water does wonders for your skin and I love oh going down to Dalytona Beach. <laughs> and just fucking, especially during spring break, ooh, it's so fun. Oh. Parties every single oh night. Oh my god, I love it. Calypso music, Chicago known for it. Love it. Cuban sandwiches. Everybody, every day in the summer, you walk around Chicago, it's steel drum music everywhere, constantly. It's beautiful. You know, Andy, uh, much like today's topic, I can't stop this now. <laughs> much like how Chicago is a just a hodgepodge of the world. I mean, so much different things. Today's topic is kind of a smorgasbord cryptid. Yeah. Uh, this is like... Uh, you know, if you, uh, this is like, this is like you as a child 
right. drawing a picture and you're like, right. well, I'm going to give this animal this thing and this right. thing and this thing. And then you come up with some kind of wild creature. Yeah. That's what we that's what we got today. We're we talk- got a real hashpaj. We're talking about the dingo neck. The dingo neck. The the um I don't famous, I guess. Sure. Why not? Famous cryptid from Africa, specifically in the Lake Victoria region of Africa. This is very this is a fun one. It's very silly and uh the the cryptid is very over the top. And uh, it's a good one. It's going to be fun. Mm, we think you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, we know you bunk funkies love to, uh, you love to sniff out uh, if cryptids are are real or misidentified. And right. there's, there's a lot on, a lot of, a lot of stuff to think about on this one. And we know that because most of our listeners are dogs. Yeah. They love to sniff. <laughs> they love to sniff. They're always smelling around the. Well, you know what? You bunk funkers, I know that what you can sniff out. And that is the timestamp. There is a timestamp in the show notes, okay? In the mm-hmm. show notes, mm-hmm. and we're going to probably start putting it in even in the episode description because you know what? These these podcast players, they keep changing up their things. Sometimes they show the show notes. Sometimes they don't. I don't know. I always want to make sure that you get that timestamp. It's going to take you right to when the research starts. We always so want to make you can sure skip that the you intro. can skip the part that you're listening to right now. That's right. <laughs> um, because first, Andy and I, we got to tell you, What's going on in our family life? Our family life. Um, you know, uh, Bunkfunkers famously. Famously. Uh, me and Art uh, waged a protracted legal battle. Oh, it was protracted. A prolapsed legal battle. <laughs> prolapsed. Against- they are calling it the prolapsed anus of all court cases. <laughs> the pink sock trial, if you will. Pink sock trial. Uh, we we waged legal battle against Mr. Bunker, and right. we emerged victorious we from won. in the in the in the hail of gunfire and the oh, slaughter yeah. of court. Uh, we may have lost our briefs, but we won the war. <laughs> we did, and I will never see those briefs again. Um, we are both hideous, deformed humanoid critters now. Yeah, and we are also. Uh, two daddies. Uh, part of the settlement is that we um, won custody of both uh, Peon Musk, That's right, and was an undead teenage Sasquatch. Our undead teenage Sasquatch, and uh, we also adopted uh, a new baby, uh, adult baby David Crosby. Right. That's David Crosby. He's an adult baby. He's he's <laughs> he's an a nearly eighty year old man. Uh, but he's a baby. But he's a baby. He's our little. Baby. He's our little baby, and. We are now two daddies, two daddies. Uh, living in a totally platonic, non-sexual relationship. We can't underscore enough that we do right. not have sex with each other. It's a lot like Night at the Roxbury. It's that kind of relationship. Very yes. platonic. Yes. Hunting yeah. for strange together. We talked about that. Right. At the right. Applebee's. Yeah. We're always out looking for strange down at Applebee's. Right. Um, but we've had uh, someone from our past has- Right. Um, Come back into our lives. Yeah. Um, Someone who's claiming to possibly be Mr. Bunker. And, you know, it's very it's very hard to tell what's going on exactly. Right. We're so uh, focused on family and togetherness and, and making sure that we have a cohesive family unit that, you know, it's tough to remember the, the stuff about the bunker and all these things and the abductions and the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Me, 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 me. And, you know, I mean, Art and I really are changed people. Oh, since, we're so changed. Since getting a families. Fresh undies. Um, we feel we got fresh undies. We feel responsibility now. Mm. Uh, we're both learning all. what it's like to care for people other than ourselves. Now that and we, it's hard. Now that we have families, uh, we are 
you know, we're adapting to life, thinking about other people and not just thinking about ourselves. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Bunkfunkers, um, I mean, give it a try. Um, it's It might be difficult. It has been for us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've come across victorious. We're just, that's just how we are. We we're win. winners naturally. We win, we win naturally. Um, and you know what? Here's another thing you can try from, this is, this mm-hmm. is a tip for all the daddies out there. Mm-hmm. From two daddies. We're just making our way through life. Right. Family taco night. Oh. oh. You know, I can't. It's so fun. I can't stress enough how important it is to have family time. It is. Together. And family it's taco like, night is so much fun. Peon Musk is a classic teenager. He just wants to play on his Palm Pilot all night long. He wants to sit there and, you know what? He's just constantly reading calendars and adding events. Yeah. Putting appointments in. He's using that little meetings. stylus. I'm like, it doesn't even work anymore. But like, he keeps wanting to play with it. And it's like, you know what? You just got to, here's how you get, you got to take, you got to make something fun for them. Right. Take dinner and make it fun. I think kids love tacos because it's BYO. You make it. Build your own. Yeah. And it's. DIY. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it, and it lacks, you know, and it might cause some BO (laughs) afterwards, right? Because you're going to get gassy (laughs) from the beans. Oh, the beans and the raw onion. (laughs) I eat a lot of raw. I'm the only one that eats Well, that's raw the thing. Onion. You know, it's like we all get our different toppings, and, and Andy does like to make his tacos just pure raw onion. No beef, no lettuce. No tortilla. No tortilla. <laughs> I just sit and eat an onion. That's my taco. <laughs> Sometimes I will cut the onion in half, uh, and I will scoop out the very middle section. Oh I will God. eat that separately, and then I will fill what's left with whole cloves of garlic, unpeeled. <laughs> Because it's good fiber. You know, but it's just fun. And, and it, it gets it gets Peon Musk involved. And, and, you know, he it gets him off his little Palm Pilot. And it gets him off of um, playing his little make-believe out in the yard. And, uh, you know, living in his little fantasy world. Yeah, he's got a little, he's got a little like, tree house out there. Uh, and he's always, you know, smearing the blood of animals all over the wall. Uh, we don't know why. We can't understand him. He doesn't speak English. But, you know, it's it's just like, oh, clearly you're in this land of make-believe. Yeah, it's like this fun little make-believe Oh, you're pretending you're a house world. painter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're a house painter planting the blood of animals. And, oh, look at you hanging a chandelier that's a, that's a uh, you know, decapitated goat's head. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Classic. Going through, I mean, as teenagers do, he's going through his Ed Gein phase. They all go Fashioning through it. furniture out of corpses i mean we <laughs> i mean we are we are in in summer now and right. i get sunburn all the time and peon musk is always collecting my peelings and oh my building furniture out of them making uh exact models of me like mannequins of me which he then dresses in like suits he makes out of leaves and he also you know stabs pieces of obsidian into the uh flesh of the skin monster that he created it's just classic teenage stuff. Classic teenage stuff. Anybody and, with teenagers has been there. And yeah, yeah, you daddies out there with teens, you can agree. Uh, but family taco night is just so funny. You know, it's like you get to fake, be, you get to do it how you want to do it. Yeah, it's creative. It's tasty. Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's the tacos very accessible. Oh, know? so accessible. Not not a complicated concept on the taco. Right, right. It's, you can set everything out. It's a nice little buffet style. Uh, it gets everybody around the table. And, you know, 
It's it's darn tasty. And uh, but here's the thing though, bunk bunk bunkers and daddies specifically, don't be afraid to lay down the law because adult baby David Crosby wanted to pick out some of the pre-shredded cheese at the grocery aisle and we fucking slapped it out of his hand and we had to scold him openly and loudly in the mm-hmm. grocery store. Yeah. You know what? And it's like we can't have our children running. I'm frankly, I'm sorry. Call me call me an old-fashioned daddies, but I'm not going to have my fucking kid Using pre-shredded cheese. This is a block cheese household. You shred your own cheese. I mean, we've talked. I'm sorry. I'm getting fired up about this. I know. And I understand. We've had so many. My kid is not going to be a loser. Pre-shredded cheese. What the fuck is this country coming to? I thought this was the land of the free and the brave. And here he is. Chinese pre-shredded cheese. When you can buy a perfectly good, cheaper, full block of cheese and shred it yourself. I'm not going to sit here and let my kid grow up be some kind of fucking loser who doesn't work for shit and uses pre-shredded cheese. Sargento can kiss my ass. I swear to God, I'm going to write another letter to Sargento. Mr. Gento. Address to Mr. Sargento. You're not even a real sergeant. You fucking loser. I bet you're not even a private. I bet you weren't even in the military. Get real fired up about it. And you have every right to. We've had a lot of conversations with you. You gotta raise them right. You gotta raise them right. And I'm sorry. I know that this is a controversial statement. But I'm not gonna let my kid use fucking pre-shredded cheese. We don't need to pay extra for potato starch all over our cheese. That's what's in there. It's potato starch. That's what keeps it from clumping. So we're not gonna have it. It inhibits melting. Other than that, family taco night is so fun. Uh, It's such a fun time. And you know... I don't enjoy being the bad guy, but I am the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I did have, I did have to, we did have to punish. Yeah. Adult baby David Crosby. And I mean, he was not happy about it, but we had to take away his marijuana for the day. He was not allowed to smoke marijuana for the rest of the day. We put it away. We put it up in a very high place. We said, you'll get this back. You get this back when you learn to not use pre-shredded cheese. And oh my God, babies are so ingenious. He got out the stepladder. He climbed up there. He was trying to get in there. And it's like, you grow up so fast. It was just a a month ago. You couldn't barely walk. You were just crawling. Oh, that being said. You know, family taco night still is a very fun night. I got to say, though, you know, we we bought the tomatoes, the cans of beans, uh, the not the pre-shredded cheese, block cheese that we then shredded ourselves. Um, mm. You know, and the lettuce and the onions and the hot, the sauces. And it's so fun. And the beef and 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 the spices. And these are all things you can carry. But golly, bunkfuckers, what is going on with consumer products nowadays? We bought this package of tortillas. They were, they were bigger than me. This package of tortillas was bigger than me. You know, I think the real problem with this country is that there is just, there is such an obsession with bread and bread-like products. This was a huge package of tortillas. This was enormous tortilla. I mean, this package had to weigh at least 250 pounds. It took, it took all of us to lift it into the cart. Right. And, and it crushed everything underneath. We had to re-shop after this. That's right. That's right. We I did. mean, 
I don't know when they started making man-sized tortillas. Yeah. I mean, needless to say that if you, if you live in the bunker area, don't go to the Fortress of Walmart's number four because all the Rascal Scooters are out of batteries because we had to shop so much. We had to do so many shops. All the Rascal Scooters are out of battery. But, you know, we brought it home and we were getting all ready for taco night. You know, mm-hmm. I'm cooking the beef and I'm spicing it up in my own little blend of spices. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing whatever. Yeah. I mean, beautiful. Oh. Tarragon, saffron. I mean, these are, that's, this is classic this is spice palette. Classic, a palette of, of, of Mexican cuisine. Ooh, we had, you know, uh, turbinado sugar and Himalayan pink salt. Ooh, and uh, white pepper. <laughs> white pepper. <laughs> we had juniper berries. Clove. <laughs> Classic taco seasoning. Classic taco seasoning. Satar. Uh, Satar. And you know what? Here's my little secret ingredient. Crack open a couple of fish oil uh, fish oil pills and sprinkle some of that on there for some Ooh, umami. Yeah. That's umami. That's umami. Ooh, umami. <laughs> We're two daddies, but we like umami. Yeah. And, you know, you're cutting up all the veggies and you're munching uh-huh. on onions at the same time, like Shrek. Yeah. You're very Shrek-like. Yeah, I have a lot in common with Shrek. I identify a lot with that character. And um, <laughs> even though, <laughs> I mean, in some ways I identify with Donkey. Especially yeah. where my ex-wife is concerned. <laughs> Ew, I was going to say, because you like to fuck dragons. <laughs> oh, and God. Sorry, ass. Cheryl. And you're an ass. And I'm an ass. And I'm making waffles. <laughs> you remember that, Bunkfuckers, from the movie? Really? I'm making waffles. 2001 Shrek. You remember how Donkey says that? He goes, I'm making waffles. I am making waffles. <laughs> and we were making tacos. Yeah, we were making tacos, not waffles. And the thing is, we set out everything. Oh, oh yeah. it was so nice. We had all so the beef set out, all the, all the fixings set out. But then, mm-hmm. you know what? We forgot the dang tortillas. Probably because they were so damn heavy. Yeah. We had to leave them in the bunker garage. Yeah. We had to, you know, we had to strap the tortillas to the top of the family car because it would not fit. Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, we had to, we have to push the seats way far away from the center of the car for, to accommodate adult baby David Crosby's car seat. (laughs) Sure, we do. And we forgot the tortillas. So we decided to go get the packaging. Mm Mm-hmm. We thought, well, we got to warm these bad boys up real quick. Oh, yeah. Toast them in the skillet a little bit. Oh, yeah. Let them get nice. Let that lard kind of, uh, you know, uh, cook up and get browned. That lard. That lard. (laughs) And wouldn't you know it, Andy, we opened up the fucking pack. And and we didn't even open the packaging. Burst forth from the packaging was a a humanoid tortilla man. It was so, it was, it was so much like, like Terminator. This completely nude tortilla man just bursting ooey gooey Whoa. from this package of of tortillas. This 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 man covered in tortillas and he screamed, "I'm Mr. Bunker and I'm gonna wrap you up." Yeah, and I thought, what is is this a marketing campaign? I didn't understand what was going on, and it's like I'm looking around for the hidden cameras. It's like, sir, these were our tortillas for family taco night, and he starts shouting. You fucking idiots. I am Mr. Bunker. I will have my vengeance. I am going to continue to abduct you repeatedly. I just thought, geez Louise, I mean, 
what happened to just having a fun mascot and a fun jingle in advertising? And campaign? this is so such a Gonzo campaign. Oh it's my like goodness! In your face, it's in mean, your house. Why not just have a billboard or a where are my tortillas? Commercial. Is, these are not food safe. So then, anyway, Tortilla Man starts flinging wet tortillas at us. <laughs> they were sopping wet, just sopping wet, sticking all over. These are flour tortillas, so you know they get real ooey gooey when you get them all wet. Right. Very. I don't chewy. know if it was you know urine or some sort of amniotic fluid that these were covered in but he's just flinging them all over the bunker garage yeah and uh so eventually we got wrapped up in tortillas yeah we got kind of yeah it was almost like being tortilla boarded (laughs) wet tortillas all over our faces we got got tortilla boarded and uh he, he covered our eyes and our faces and strapped us down with tortillas and then proceeded to slowly drip tortillas on our faces until we just couldn't have enough. And yeah. uh, he rolled us into the... <laughs> I wish he would have dripped John Tortorella on our faces. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but... And so talented! Uh, the reference is just funny to me. John Tortorella. I don't know who that is. You know, he invented Tortorellini. No, I'm kidding. He's the actor. Andy, you always pull a fast one on me. But he rolled <laughs> us into the studio... And here we are. So I guess we'll deliver you guys another episode. I guess oh, that's no, what we'll the do. hockey coach. That's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> Who's the actor that I'm thinking of? John Leguizamo? No. Joe Manganello? Well, anyway, they dipped a <laughs> hockey coach into our mouths. I wish. Whatever. I wish. Either way, here we are in the studio. I guess we'll. I guess. We'll never know. We'll get back to Family Taco Night later, but we'll finish an episode first. Yeah, I hope the kids ate. Yeah, I'm sure they did. If not, Peon Musk can warm up one of the dead carcasses that he keeps in the freezer. And there are a lot of them. There are so many of them. Speaking of dead carcasses here, uh, Bunk Bunkers, uh, you know what? I don't know if anybody's ever seen the dead carcass of a Dinganek. (laughs) But uh, we can't verify or, you know, whatever. There's a couple of old British... Uh, like hunter type guys. What do you call those guys? Like Indiana Jones types. Big game hunters. Big game hunters. Big game hunters. Who probably would love to catch a dingo neck. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're going to tell you all about them. This is the fascinating cryptid. Some might say that Andy and I are the dingo necks of podcasting. Yeah. Um, the Elusive. A, a fascinating cryptid. Uh, the dingo neck here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Bunk Funkers, if you know anything about me and Art, you know we love one thing. The 1995 Sega Genesis video game, Comic Zone. Whew. For the unfamiliar, which, I mean, we sincerely hope is none of you. Yeah. Comic Zone is a beat-em-up style game which centers around Sketch Turner, a New York City-based artist and musician who is working on a comic book about Earthlings trying to defend themselves against an extraterrestrial invasion. The story goes, as we all know, that one night during a storm, lightning strikes one panel of Sketch's comic. As lightning bolts have been scientifically proven to do. Yes, that's true. Uh, Of course, as lightning has also been proven to do, it made manifest in our world the villain of Sketch's comic, Mortis. 
But at this point, Mortis is is still just a drawing, albeit a drawing that exists in the real world. Now, in order to become flesh and blood and take over the earth, Mortis decides to kill Sketch. To do so, Mortis traps Sketch inside the comic book, and Sketch has to fight his way out with the help of his pet rat, Roadkill, and General Alyssa Cyan. It's a unique game with a novel art style and an original story. What a treat it was to play this game back in the 90s. Art and I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, Andy, I've I've never even heard of this game before. This this is not an interest we both share. Oh. Um, oh, boy. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, Bunk Bunkers, if there's two things me and Art love, the second thing is Lake Facts. Oh, baby, Lake Facts? Oh, baby, there's nothing I love better than some good old-fashioned lake-related trivia. Woohoo, doggy! My classic catchphrase, other than ooey goo goo ga. Yeah. Ooey goo goo ga. Woo doggy. Woo doggy. That's a twofer right there, Bunk Funkers. Get out your bibs, Bunk Funkers, because we're about to slurp up some lake facts. Mmm, <laughs> delicious. Andy, did you know that Lake Victoria, the lake in Africa, is actually the continent's largest lake by area, did you? Oh, wow. Lake Victoria is the ninth largest lake by volume. Lake fact. Lake Victoria was named after Queen Victoria, the UK monarch. Lake fact. Lake Victoria is, at least at the time of this recording, part of three different African countries, Tanzania, Uganda, and Kenya. Lake fact. Oh, wow. Are those sure are some creamy, dreamy lake facts. Ugh. And I thank you for them. You're welcome. Uh, did you also know it's a fact that Lake Victoria is home to wildlife that can be found nowhere else in the world. This is especially true for fish. But, Bunk Funkers, there are tales that another creature stalks the shores of Lake Victoria. Succinctly described, this creature is some sort of a lake-dwelling jungle walrus. Uh, no relation to the band of the same name, of course. <laughs> of course, we're talking about the Dingo Neck, Lake Victoria's very own cryptid critter, so join us today as we put on our European-style swimming briefs and take a dip into the whole enchilada on the Dingo Neck. Now, the Dingo Neck has proven to be an elusive creature, with the bulk of the sightings happening in and around the year 1907. Ugh, God, 1907. Oh, boy. What a crappy year for me. I was living in Seattle, and I had a horse-drawn cart loaded with old vegetables. I'd ride all over Puget Sound screaming, Old vegetables, get your nearly rotten vegetables here. And I did good business. <laughs> but then they opened that stinking Pike Place Market joint, and suddenly my brown, mushy veggies weren't good enough anymore. Well, anyway, I ended up selling my horse and pulling the cart myself until I got tired of that at five, about five minutes later. My second wife, Clara, was none too happy about that boner. Then later in the year, King Oscar II of Sweden died, which just really fucking sucked, you know? Yeah, that's rough, buddy. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> God damn it. What the fuck are you? God, that was a shitty year. Oh, you love that, King. God, you know, we were so happy to turn the calendar to 1908. <laughs> the Dinganek. The main source of information on the Dinganek is John Alfred Jordan. British big game hunter, trader, and infamous ivory poacher. 
Allegedly, Jordan killed 40 crocodiles in one day on Lake Victoria. He also hunted for what he called the elephant stone, which was allegedly a large ball of ivory found inside the skull of a tuskless bull elephant. What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> the elephant stone. We all know it. We all love it. Ah, I love that movie. Harry Pachyderm and the elephant stone. <laughs> in other words... The elephant stone was an ivory dealer's wet dream. Oh, baby. An elephant with no tusks? I can still kill it because there's ivory inside the skull. <laughs> it's fucking head. Jordan and his hunting party encountered the Dinganek in an expedition in, again, 1907. The encounter was first publicized by American big game hunter Edgar Beach Bronson. These, um, these names are incredible. Oh, that's a typo. Edgar Beecher Bronson. Oh, my Sorry, goodness. I made a mistake. It's even better. Edgar Beecher Bronson. Yeah. An incredible name. In Bronson's 1910 memoir, Enclosed Territory. Bronson was from Nebraska. I mean, eventually. <laughs> what would eventually become Nebraska. Yeah. And was also a rancher and author of fiction and memoirs. In fact, Bronson started the first cattle ranch in Nebraska. According to Enclosed Territory, Bronson camped at, at uh, Engabai, which was probably somewhere in present-day Kenya or Tanzania. Somewhere in there. Anyway, Alfred uh, John Alfred Jordan visited Bronson's camp on January 31st, 1909. The weather got stormy, so the two men were stuck in the tent together. Oh, 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 baby, here we go. Uh, well, just wait a second there, Andy. Just wait a second there. Huh? Put that tongue back in its mouth. Oh, why? That's what I thought, too. But they didn't end up making passionate love. Oh, fuck. Just so lame. What else are you going to do in a tent? Yeah. Get me in a tent. I'm fucking. Or if they did. If the tents are rocking, don't come a knocking. Oh, here's the thing. If they did, Bronson didn't write about it. Oh. So instead, Bronson and Jordan started talking about large animals that they were yet to be discovered in Africa. They started discussing the uh, okapi, which is an animal that only exists in the northeast part of Africa, which is now the De uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. It kind of looks like a zebra, but is actually most closely related to the giraffe. The point is, the okapi was a completely new animal to Western people, which gave Western people the chance to do what they do best discovering things that already exist and that other people have known about for a long time. It's our greatest skill. <laughs> now let me discover some more of this story for you, bunk funkers. Uh, the Okapi conversation led Jordan to then tell Bronson the following quote. Then there's, then there's the infernal horror of the reptilian bounda that comes up the Magori River. Out of the lake, the Lumbwa have christened Dinganek. In its real prize money, that beauty would fetch Five or 10,000 quid at least, end quote. <laughs> Obviously, Jordan knew what was important. Finding rare creatures, murdering them, and getting some sweet, stinky quiche. Ooh, baby. <laughs> that quiche. Uh, at any rate, Bronson wrote that Jordan also told a story about encountering this dingoneck. According to Jordan, via Bronson, Jordan had a run-in with the dingoneck on the way to the Magori River. Bronson wrote, quoting Jordan, quote, Presently, I heard the bush smashing and upraced my lumbwa, wide-eyed and gray as their black skins could get, with the yawn that they had seen a frightful, strange beast on the riverbank. Uh, yeah, Art's making a cringy face. Apologies for the racism in there, which is pretty blatant throughout a lot of these stories. Um, at any rate, this is a quote. This is not. It's a quote. This is. This is not us creating this. This is a quote. It's a quote. 
Um, <clears throat> the yarn that they had seen a frightful strange beast on the riverbank, which at sight of them had plunged into the water as they described it. Some sort of cross between a sea serpent, a leopard, and a whale. <laughs> Thinking they had gone crazy or were pulling my leg, I told them I'd believe, him, believe them if they could show me, but not before. After a long uh, shari palava among themselves, back they finally ventured, returning in half an hour to say that it lay full length exposed on the water in midstream, end quote. <laughs> now, obviously, hearing that a dinganek was fully exposed got Jordan's motor running. He just had to go down to the river and see this for himself. So here's how Jordan describes seeing the dinganek. Holy saints, but he was a sight. 14 or 15 feet long. Head big as that of a lioness, but shaped and marked like a leopard. Two long white fangs sticking down straight out of his upper jaw. Back as broad as a hippo, scaled like an armadillo, but colored and marked like a leopard. And a broad, thin tail that slowly, lazy swishes of which was easily holding itself level in the swift current headed upstream. Gad! <laughs> but he was a hideous old haunter of a nightmare. Was that beast fish that made you want an aeroplane to feel safe of him? Now, for a while, he lay upstream of me. I had been brought down the riverbank precisely where he had taken water. And there, all about me, in the soft mud and loam, were the imprints of feet. Wide as a diameter as that of a hippo's, but clawed like a reptile's. Feet you could, you knew could carry him ashore, and claws that could be bolly well sure no man could ever get loose from once they had nipped him. Now, Jordan also said that Dedinganek's fangs seemed, quote, long enough to go clean through a man, end quote. And Jordan then described sitting and watching the Dingoneck. After a while, he worried that the Dingoneck might see him. So he did the only thing he could do. He pulled out his uh, 303 rifle and uh, shot the Dingoneck right behind, quote, his leopard ear, end quote. <laughs> uh, shooting the Dingoneck got a reaction as the Dingoneck shot up out of the water. Jordan was freaked out and took off into the bush, terrified. Once he felt he wasn't in danger any longer, Jordan told Bronson he searched for the Dingadek all around for, quote, several miles uh, for two days after the encounter shooting. Uh, despite uh, the search, Jordan never again spotted the Dingadek or located its tracks. Uh, then, I guess because Jordan knew Bronson would call him a liar, I can only guess, uh, Jordan told Bronson he could verify the story by asking Jordan's hunting party about it. Well, Bronson did just that and claimed that, through an interpreter, the rest of the party gave basically the same description of the creature. Now, after this story, Bronson next wrote about uh, when he went to Uganda in, quote, November last, and met, quote, ex-collector James Martin, who also had an, an account of a monster in the waters of Africa. According to Martin, quote, a great water serpent or reptile was seen on or near the north shore of the lake, which was worshipped by the natives, who believed it's coming uh, a harbinger of heavy crops and large increase of their flocks and herds, end quote. Bronson then provided an account from another source, quote, Again, in December, while dining with the senior deputy commissioner, C.W. Hobley, CMG, incredible name, holy shit, <laughs> at his residence in Nairobi, the very night before starting in his safari and speaking of the origin of the sleeping sickness, Mr. Hobley, told me that the Baganda, Wasoga, and Cavarondo 
uh, of the North Shore of the lake had from time immemorial sacrificed burnt offerings of cattle and sheep to a lake reptile of great size and terrible appearance they called uh, Lu- uh, Luquata. Luquata? Luquata! I got it. Which occasionally appeared along or near the shore. That since the last coming of Luquata was just shortly before the first outbreak of the sleeping sickness, the natives firmly believe that the Mzungu have killed Luquata, while the purpose, uh, with the purpose and as the means of making them victims of the dread plague. Of the existence in the lake of such an unclassed reptile, Mr. Hotley considered there was no question, end quote. Had the only account of the Dinganek been contained to enclosed territory, maybe the Dinganek would have been forgotten as just a folkloric tale. Uh, but that's not the case. In 1913, the East Africa Natural History Society published an article by Charles William Hobley. Yes, the same C.W. Hobley who told Bronson about the Liquata. In this article, Hobley relates another account of a dingo-neck-like critter. Quote, At the time this story appeared, it was considered that this was probably a traveler's tale told to entertain a newcomer. But I have since met a man who a few years back, wandering about the Mara River or Nagare Dubash, which rises in Sotik, crosses the Anglo-German boundary and runs into Lake Victoria in German territory. He emphatically asserts that he saw the beast. He was at the time uh, where the Mara River crosses the frontier and the river was in high flood. The beast came floating down the river on a big log and he estimated its length at about 16 feet, but could not be certain of its length as its tail was in the water. He describes it as spotted like a leopard, covered with scales and having a head like an otter. He did not see the long fangs described by Mr. Jordan. He fired at it and hit it. It slid off the log into the water and was not seen again. End quote. Hobley also wrote that Jordan's story in Bronson's book may be related to, quote, the greatest rarity which has not yet been bagged, which would appear to be the extraordinary creature which is said to inhabit certain of the rivers running into Lake Victoria and the lake itself, end quote. Then in 1918, McLean's magazine ran an article called, quote, something about the dingo neck, end quote. I mean, of course, you all remember this movie where John Alfred Jordan gets his scrotum stuck in his zipper on prom night, his, quote, beans above the frank, end quote, and uh, loses out on his prom date with the dingo neck. Years later, John Alfred Jordan hires a private dick, to tra- <laughs> hires a private dick to track down the dingo neck because Jordan is still in love with the dingo neck. Well. That same P.I. lies to Jordan about the Dingoneck so that so that the, the P.I. can try to woo the Dingoneck in a series of wacky events follow, including the Dingoneck inadvertently smearing Jordan's cum all over its body. Eventually, we all learn that the Dingoneck probably should have been with NFL Hall of Famer Brett Favre the whole time. But nevertheless, the Dingoneck chooses John Alfred Jordan. They fuck. It's a great fucking movie. We've all seen it. Classic film. It's a classic film. Something about the Dingoneck. Something about the Dingoneck. Anyway, the McLean's article described Jordan's evidence of the Dingoneck's existence as, quote, very positive and believable, end quote. The article then goes on to reprint information from an article written by Jordan himself, which was published in the Wide World magazine. In that article, Jordan described his encounter with the creature. Jordan wrote that he was on his way to a trading and hunting expedition and had to cross a tributary river of Lake Victoria. The river was flooded, so Jordan camped while building a temporary bridge. And when I say, quote, you know, building a temporary bridge, end quote, 
I feel pretty confident that I'm actually saying, you know, waiting for local Africans to build a temporary bridge for him. And I feel confident in saying that because here's what Jordan wrote next. Quote, after pitching camp, I went along the bank to search for a good tree to drop across the river and soon found what I wanted. Telling some boys to start felling it, I sent some of my Lumbwa warriors to follow the riverbank and try to find a suitable place to swim the pack donkeys over. Meanwhile, I sat down and lighted my pipe with a contented mind. End quote. Now, next in this thrilling tale, Jordan smokes his pipe for an hour, literally an hour, <laughs> until some of the rest of the party <laughs> run back to tell him they'd seen a weird animal sleeping on the riverbank. From here, uh, the story is pretty much the same as what appeared in Enclosed Territory. Jordan watches for a while, shoots the dingo neck with his 303, and runs for cover in the forest. Um Jordan then said he camped for a few days looking for the Dingonex's body because he was sure he murdered it, but the body was never found. Now, also in this article, Jordan provided a similar description of the monster to what he told Bronson. In this case, though, Jordan also tried to describe the Dingonex as a species, also speculating on its evolutionary heritage. Here's what Jordan wrote about the Dingonex. The Dingonex is a huge, unclassified aquatic monster. It resembles its many of its characteristics, the exact, the extinct dinosaur, a huge reptile of the Mesozoic period, fossils of which have been discovered by paleontologists in the sandstone strata, both of the African and American continents. The Dingonek is probably somewhat smaller than the uh, extinct amphibian referred to and uh, measures approximately from 15 to 18 feet. It lives in Lake Victoria, uh, Nyanza, and its numerous uh, tributaries. And there is no record of the monster having been seen in any other part of the world. Whether it is a descendant of one of the huge prehistoric Saurons that has, by a process of adaptation, living as it does uh, in impenetrable regions far away from the encroachments of civilized man. Continued, but with slight modifications through uh, prodigious, <laughs> prodigious ages to the present time, or whether it is an unclassified reptile or amphibian, it is equally impossible to say, as no specimen exists either of its bones or its skin, that this monster does exist. However, there can be no particle of doubt, as the testimony of authoritative eyewitnesses cannot be reasonably discredited. End quote. Now, with that in mind, Art and I will likewise now try to move on from the sightings to try to explain the Dinganek more broadly. Mm-hmm. Modern cryptozoological research puts three unknown creatures under the name Dingonek. Uh, there's, of course, first and foremost, the Dingonek itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the Ol Umaina, uh, reported to live in the Amala River by the local Maasai people. After Enclosed Territory was published, a British official in the region, District Commissioner Dudley Russell Crampton, talked uh, with the Maasai living near the Amala River. Crampton found out that the Maasai knew of a Dingonek-like critter they referred to as Olumaina. According to the Maasai, the Olumaina was 15 feet long. It had a dog-like head with small ears described by C.W. Hobley as, quote, marked somewhat after the fashion of a puff adder, end quote. Uh, further, the Olumaina had claws, short legs, and a short neck. The Olumaina was known to hang out in the sunshine on the riverbanks, jumping in the river when bothered, leaving only its head above the water. Now, what's interesting is that Crampton made inquiries of the Maasai in 1913, and that was the description given of the Ol Umaina at that time. Researching the creature in 1978, 
James Powell was told by locals the old Umina lived in the, in the water, had hair-based scales, was only six feet long, had a long tail, and a, quote, and, quote, a long, soft, and flexible mouth like an elephant's trunk, end quote. The people Powell talked to were shown a picture of a T-Rex, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, the dinosaur, and said the Olumina looked similar. And, and even though, I mean, from the description given, uh, either description, uh, it sure doesn't sound like it looks like a T-Rex, like, even a little bit. Yeah, at all. Like, there's no amount of characteristics that it has in common with a T-Rex, except possibly being long. Uh, anyway, uh, for more uh, for more of the story, let's turn things over to someone who also has a long, soft, flexible mouth. Art, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, man with short, gelatinous, lumpy body. <laughs> now, bunk bunkers, as we mentioned, three cryptids associating with the Dingonek brand, and we've only given you two. Time to hit number three, which is the Endomathia. Mm, yeah. Endomathia. Uh, which lives in the Tana River, the longest river in Kenya. River fact! Sneaky river fact. You stuck one in. That's right. The Endomathia uh, was known to the local uh, Kikuyu people and played a role in traditional Kikuyu ceremonies. The creature is considered to be reptilian, though it might also be uh, described as serpentine or dragon-like. The Endomathia uh, was described as a type of crocodile. And also that it has a hairy tail. The whole thing is a hairy tail, bunk funkers. <laughs> now, according to C.W. Hobley, I can I will never get tired of saying that name. <laughs> according to C.W. Hobley, at some point before 1911, a Kikuyu elder sent two men on a mission to get tail hairs from a to get tail hairs. <laughs> Another typo. God damn it. <laughs> to get tail Ooh, hairs. quality control in this uh, oh boy. research is very rough here tonight. <laughs> to get tail hairs from the uh, endomathia relaxing in the sun along the riverbank. Apparently, the men got drunk drinking beer, snatched the tail hairs, and got the hell out of there. Hot damn. This is like an old-fashioned grip to panty ride. <laughs> oh, man. I can remember back in my college days, building a ladder out of discarded popsicle sticks from the dozens of popsicles I ate daily. And propping that thing up against the wall outside the dining hall, I'd sneak in while all the dining service employees were in the showers and sniff all the soiled linens. Mm. Mm. So many towels soiled with so much food waste. But those are the exploits of a young man, Art. Not somebody knock, knock, knocking on the gates of hell like me. Not even an old dish towel sniffing freak like me will live forever. Towel sniffing freak. You're right, Andy. There is hope for this world. Someday all of us dish towel sniffing freaks are gonna die. None of us is gonna none of us gets out alive. Right. You're gonna get uh you're gonna get your nutsack slapped by the wet towel of the of in God's gym. Yeah. Someday my maker's gonna come down here and put me into the garbage disposal of life. Anyway. One of the founding fathers of cryptozoology, Bernard uh, Huevelmans, Huevelman. Huevelmans, uh, believed the Dingonek was just like the other water lions spotted in mm -hmm. other locations uh, in Africa. Water lions or water leopards or jungle walruses are a type of semi-aquatic creatures said to live in rivers and wetlands in the tropical parts of Africa. 
Uh, typically, water lions are described uh, with uh, like saber-toothed tigers, you know, big cats with big teeth. In fact, uh, Huevelmans and uh, uh, Ingo Crumbigel. Uh, Crumbigel? Crumbigel. <laughs> Ingo Crumbigel. Boy, these names. Oh, baby. Floated the idea that water lions were a surviving species of the saber-toothed cat, but adapted to life in the water. That said, water lions are sometimes described more like elephants. Uh, whatever the description, they're known for murdering hippopotamuses. And this is pretty consistent with the behavior of the dingo neck. Dingo necks is believed to uh, be a carnivore that can pretty much hunt, murder, and eat anything it wants, except elephants. And the dingo neck's three-foot-long tusks make it a killing machine, allowing it to sneak up on the hippo. And sink in them chompers like hot knife through hippo butter. Now, bunk bunkers. <laughs> Sad uh, as this is to say, the dingonek, it might be extinct. Fuck. I know. The dingonek itself has not been reported since Jordan's 1907 encounter. This was a rare creature to begin with. No sightings since then might even mean the animal species is no more. Wevelman uh, believed the dingonek was extinct but believe that other types of water lions may continue to exist. Rest in piss, dingo neck. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> but hey, was what these people saw really a dingo neck? I mean, really? Well, just being honest here, bunk funkers, some people think the dingo neck was just a big hoax. <gasps> as mentioned by C.W. Hobley, John Alfred Jordan's encounter was regarded as a traveler's tale initially just like a, a tall tale. Right. Uh, and this might have been because Jordan was known as a colorful storyteller. I don't get that. A raconteur. But obviously, Hobley eventually came around and was convinced that Jordan was being truthful, especially after hearing about another sighting from someone other than Jordan. Bernard Hovelmans believed Jordan to be uh, truthful because of the c consistency in the telling and retelling of Jordan's story over the years. Jordan uh, retold the story a lot with light variations in details, which Hovelman sees as making Jordan seem more genuine. Hovelman believed Jordan was bound to forget some details after 20 years from the incident. It would have been more suspicious if Jordan always told the exact same story every time. Uh, now that's Bernie Hovelman's take. Uh, other people see Jordan's inconsistent storytelling as more problematic. Well, hey, Andy, let's not be so tough on old John Alfred Jordan, huh? You know, it ain't easy being a poacher. Believe me, it's no yoke. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to come off as some sort of elephant trader here, like a eggs Benedict Arnold type. But maybe we should cut Jordan some slack. I mean, who do we think we are? A couple of hard-boiled detectives? Come on. I'm not saying we should make it over easy on Jordan. I just think we should, you know, could be a little more understanding here. Oh. It's not easy being a poacher. It's not. You're always on the run. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not easy being a poacher. You know, sometimes uh, you got to scramble. Yeah. To get out of, you got to get out of, get out of tough spots. I mean, and it's tough. I mean, you're just out there trying to emulsify a life for yourself and, you know, it's not easy. Hey, listen, it's no Hollandaise. That's true. You're not out there on Hollandaise. Not a, not a Roman Hollandaise. Here. Anywho, maybe ding and sightings are just a case of mistaken identity. 
Like how Andy is constantly mistaken for John Wayne Gacy or Mark David Chapman or a beast Matthew Broderick. Huh? Pedro and Fish. You know, famous actor, obese Matthew Broderick. <laughs> you also murdered two people with a car in Ireland. Yeah. Like the Dinganek, these three are notorious killers, and only one of them escaped justice. But just like Andy, they all look like Andy. <laughs> oh, you got me there. <laughs> Multiple people. I post a fucking picture of Mark David Chapman. Multiple people. Is that Andy? <laughs> I've got a look about me. You do. Oh, God, bugfuckers. Oh, jeez. It's fun. Anyway, maybe the Dinanek sightings can be blamed on the giant pangolin. The giant pangolin is the largest variety of pangolin, which are basically just anteaters covered in scales made of keratin. Pangolins are elusive little creatures that are primarily nocturnal. Uh, the giant pangolin has a lot of features in common with the Dinganek. Uh, the scales, a big tail, large claws. The giant pangolin also has a long snout, you know, like an anteater, and large anal glands. Pangolins are also very endangered. They Beautiful, are. awesome little critters. One of my favorite animals. Very uh, adorable looking oh, creatures. Oh my God, they're so fucking cute. But yeah, very endangered. Yeah, because people hunt them for their scales. Yeah. It's incredibly sad. They're so cute. They walk on two legs, Andy. Yeah, they can walk bipedally. And they hold their little hands out like they're nervous about something. Yeah. Oh, they're so cute, Bunkfunkers. Look them up. Look them up, Bunkfunkers. Do it. Here's it. Turn off the podcast. And Turn it. off. Go, go, go Google pangolins right now. The description of uh, old... Uh, Umina, uh, Ol Umina gives uh, given to James Powell in 1978, which again described the Ol Umina as having hair-based scales, being six feet long and a long tail, and a long, soft, and flexible mouth, like that of an elephant's trunk. Kind of sounds like a giant pangolin, just without the large anal glands. You're right, Art. It does. Uh, Bernie Hovelman's uh, thought so too. Hovelman's wrote that it made sense that the Kikuyu people could mix up the giant pangolin and the dingodeck. Both creatures are rarely seen, so there was likely little known about either. Hovelman's also suggested that the name Olumina might have referred to an unknown animal that was already extinct. The name Olumina then got taken from the extinct animal and applied to the most similar living creature, the giant pangolin. Now, this is all sensible for maybe explaining the 1978 description of Olumina, but the giant pangolin still doesn't really explain the dingo neck itself. The dingo neck had giant fangs, and pangolins literally don't have any teeth at all. They can't even chew. What the hell do pangolins do when they play baseball? All right, Mr. Pangolin Hater. You're not convinced the giant pangolin and its large anal glands are the source of the sightings. Okay. Well, how about this? What if dingo neck sightings were the results of misidentifying a goddamn fucking dinosaur? A real-life dinosaur. You got my attention. <laughs> so get this. Not long after meeting with James Alfred Jordan, Edgar Beecher Bronson met with Animal Collector, which I assume is just a high society term for a guy that kills a lot of animals and has them taxidermied, or for a guy that has some kind of weird menagerie. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Bronson met with Animal Collector James Martin. Martin told Bronson about a large snake or water monster seen on the shores of Lake Victoria. 
which you might remember from earlier. Big fact. Then, as we already know, Bronson then talked to C.W. Hobley, who also told Bronson about the Luquata. Uh, 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 so Bronson uh, took all of this information and synthesized it to come to the conclusion that the Dingo Neck was a Luquata that had gotten out of Lake Victoria and into one of the lake's tributaries. This opinion was later confirmed by Jordan, who wrote, quote, Some wonder robo, some, won- some wonder robo, <laughs> told me that they knew about this thing, that they called it a dinganek. The uh, Cavarondo knew of it too. They had seen more of them, more than one of them, and made a god out of it whom they called Luquara. Uh, end quote. Uh, oh, that was a quote within a quote. I'm still doing the voice. They were worried when they were worried when uh, they heard that a white man had shot a Luquata. They said they now, they said now they would all die of sleeping sickness, and it was true that there was an epidemic of it among the Cavarondo that year. End quote. Look, Art, I I know you weren't happy about me poo-pooing the giant pangolin theory, so allow me to also poo-poo the dinosaur theory. I've got enough poo-poo to go around. Yeah, you do. Ovalmans points out that the name Luquata has been given to a variety of water monsters in Africa, not just the serpentine monsters of Lake Victoria. Either way, the description of the Luquata doesn't really match that of the Dingadek. Uh, for his part, even James Alfred Jordan was kind of conflicted. He couldn't decide if the Dingonek was, quote, a, dis- a descendant of one of the huge prehistoric saurians that has, by a process of adaptation, living as it does in impenetrable regions far away from the encroachments of civilized man, continued with but slight modifications through prodigious ages to the present time, or whether it is an unclassified reptile or amphibian, end quote. Whatever the case, Jordan did not seem sure it was a reptile or amphibian of some sort. It's worth mentioning that dinosaurs were still relatively newly unearthed at the time, and so they were kind of in style at the time. That was sort of the style at the time. Uh, some have suggested that Jordan and other witnesses saw dinosauric qualities in the creature uh, they saw, they witnessed, uh, because that's what they really wanted to see. Even still, Hovelmans points out that water-dwelling dinos probably wouldn't look like the dingo neck anyway. Swimming dinos or prehistoric aquatic reptiles would likely have smooth skin rather than scales. But maybe the dingo neck is something that's kind of like a dinosaur. The account given by C.W. Hobley has led some to suggest that uh, the sighting might have actually been that of a Nile monitor lizard. Hovelman initially thought maybe the dingo neck could have been some sort of giant dwarf crocodile. Hovelman's thought that the, thought this because of the description of the dingo neck's head which was described as a small, uh, as small, unlike other crocodiles that have long snoots. Uh, but after doing some research, Hevelman's ditched the croc theory, which is something I'll never do. Sorry, babe. The crocs stay on during sex. Gotta have my crocs. You heard it. At, you heard it here first, bug funkers. If you want to fuck art, yeah, the crocs stay on. Crocs are staying on, and so are the lights. Oh yeah, because I want to see those Crocs. You, in the you mirror. can't, you can't not see the Crocs with oh, the lights babe, are off. Come on, how am I gonna fucking get off? Yeah, I can't see my Crocs. Yeah, can't come without my Crocs. Now that's a marketing campaign. Yeah, because it's it's a double entendre. You, I can't come, but I also I'm not gonna show up without wearing my Crocs. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Hire me Crocs. You're your first Crocs. <laughs> anyway, Pueblman, uh eventually became convinced that the Dingonek was a mammal, and here's why. 
First, the dingonex head was always described in mammalian terms. Also, reptiles usually have uniform teeth and don't grow saber teeth, which is something that uh, some types of mammals do. Next, the dingonex has sometimes been described as having hair, which is very mammal-like. And finally, while it's not super common, some mammals do have scales. There's armadillos, giant ground sloths, and pangolins. Andy, cute, adorable pangolins who are endangered. So friggin' cute. Yeah, sure. Maybe it's a mammal art. Maybe, like we already suggested, the dingonek is a saber-toothed cat. There's clearly a striking resemblance between the two types of creatures. As we mentioned, Hoevelman believed the dingonek could have been a water lion, the aquatic saber-toothed cats of Africa. The closest reported water lion to where the dingonek was spotted is in the Ituri rainforest, which is more than a couple hundred miles away. Now, maybe the water lion's range was greater in the past. Uh, there were also water lion sightings reported around the same time as when Jordan saw the dingonek. Aside from the distance, there are some other issues uh, with the water lion hypothesis, such as the long paddle-like tail of the dingonek. Uh, most saber-toothed cats are suspected of having short tails, and most water lion sightings report tails more like cows or horses. There's also the issue of the scales, which is something pretty consistent in dingonek reports. It's possible that a cat species could develop scales, but it seems unlikely. Cats are predators, designed for offense, not defense. To get around this last problem, Hoevelman cast, uh, suggested that the dingo neck is in fact a cat and is covered in fur. The quote-unquote scales reported, uh, Hoevelman suggested, were just a trick of the light. The sun created some shadows on the animal's wet fur, which was all clumpy from the water. For what it's worth, James Alfred Jordan believed the leopard-like spots on the dingo neck were the result of an illusion caused by the sunlight on the creature's scales. But, you know, it's not like the reverse couldn't actually be true that the appearance of scales were a trick of the light on the fur. Wow. Bunkfuckers, we've been on quite an expedition today. So what do you think about this dingonek thing? Huh? You know, did we hear a tale about a frightening murderous cryptid? Or did we hear about a giant pangolin? Or a real-life saber-toothed cat that lives in the water? Do you need to think about it? Do you want to sleep on it? You can spend the night in our tent. I mean, in the morning. We'll hit the trail. See if we can't find one of these creatures ourselves. And don't worry. We brought our curiosity rifles. That's right. We literally weaponized our curiosity. Once we get the dingonek in our sights, we can pepper it with questions till it succumbs. Then we can drag its carcass back to camp, roast it over a roaring fire, and fill our mind tummies with the dingonek whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of the dingonek. Oh, I'm a dingo neck. Pretty fun. 
You like the dingo neck? I think it's cute. I like the dingo neck. It's fun. You just say the term jungle walrus and you've got me hooked. You've got me hooked, baby. Jungle walrus. Jungle walrus. You're driving me mad. You're making me crazy, crazy. Jungle walrus. You're really big and you're so fat and lazy. They're not at all, but walruses can be. They're fat, um, but it's because they live in the cold. It's true. They need it. They need it. Um, no, I like the story. It's a fun little story. It's 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 littered with uh, incredible names. Let's be honest. Yeah, some of the greatest names I've ever read in my life: C.W. Hobley, Edgar Beecher Bronson, Edgar Beecher Bronson. I mean, they don't just they don't name them like they used to, Andy. No. Uh, Dudley Russell Crompton, <laughs> John Alfred Jordan. Even, what was his first name? Huevelman. The Great Lane. Yeah. Great name. Fathers of uh, cryptozoology. Um, you know, Andy, you really did touch on something that I don't think has ever been brought up, is that my love of penguins. Yeah. Probably one of my favorite animals. Yeah. Um, um, the poor little critters are hunted to fucking damn near extinction. Yeah, they are. I'm trying uh, to get off my soapbox here, but I can't help it, Andy. You know, these are like, um, these are creatures that live in Africa and Asia, mm-hmm. uh, in the tropic regions. There's different types, yep. Uh, there's like, I don't know, se- like, se- I don't know, seven, 10, 12 different types of pangolins. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all kind of this, it's kind of the same thing. They're like these, they look sort of like armadillos. Right. Um, they look like Sandshrew if you're a Pokemon. Uh, yeah. You know what Pokemon is. They, exactly. they look like Sandshrew or uh, Sandslash. Yeah. They got to live places where there's lots of ants or termites because that's what they eat. Uh, very endangered. Um, and yeah, they're just little cuties. Oh my God, they're so fucking cute. Uh, the giant pangolin is the biggest variety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they live in they live uh, in the part of Africa where they're, they're native. Uh, there's plenty of termites. And if you've ever seen like the kind of, like termites build these big, huge nests. Massive ones out on the savanna. Uh, and yeah, like these big like dirt mounds uh, where termites live. The pangolin, the giant pangolin just like sort of leans against it because it's, you know, it weighs a little bit, not like right. a lot, but then, you know, it's got those huge claws. Right. And it can just dig in, split the thing open, and then tasty termites. Bunkfuckers, uh, one of the reasons why they're so fucking cute is they're when they stand up on their their back legs and they walk, they like waddle and they're just kind of trotting along and they have these like, they have like these innocent faces like that of a sloth, these innocent looking eyes. And then um, their little hands, their little front hands kind of dangle in front, but it's like they click together almost like they're like nervous or anxious. It's like um, the big meme. The first time I ever became aware of pangolins was because of this meme about where it's like some, you know, the text on the meme is like, I just learned about pangolins and why does it look like they're nervously going to ask you to prom? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something. what they look like. Like, uh, if you think of like, uh, well, I think it was Fillmore from Rockers Modern Life or Butters <laughs> from South Park. Like yeah. how they, how Butters is always like, oh, geez, oh my. Before they kind of made Butters this fucking, like this nut job character when yeah. he was still like a nervous wreck. Fillmore from Rocco's Modern Life is a good pull on this. Yeah, he would kind of like... That's a very uh, pangolin... Yeah, he would like put his... He would ring his little fingers together in nervousness, and that's what pangolins kind of look like. Yeah. Oh, they're just so damn cute. And it sucks because they're hunted to damn near extinction, most of the Asian varieties, and even the African ones too. Yeah. 
Um, and that's they're incredibly elusive creatures. Yeah, they're nocturnal. So, right. you know, people don't people that we don't even know that much about. We don't pangolins because they, you know, they're hard to observe because they they're are. they don't have they don't have huge numbers. Nope. They don't have a large range. Uh, they're mostly nocturnal. It's just very difficult for. I forget know. the smallest variety of pangolin, but um, or one of the variety. I watched this documentary about, like, yeah, how, like basically how pangolins are going extinct and they're being hunted and yeah, because it's this weird, it's this stupid like medicine thing where their scales are thought to cure right everything from infertility, male infertility to skin disorders to whatever right, uh, and then their meat they're eaten for their meat. You can get pangolin soup. Yeah. Um like at different wet markets. Uh and um Yeah. They 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 were able to track down almost every variety except for one. They like they literally couldn't find it. Yeah. It was so fucking elusive. Yeah. Uh and they live in like these jungles and tropic areas, which are fucking hard to get through. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's you know, you talk about the dingo neck, like it's very possible that even people that lived in the area like wouldn't know that much about true the animal. I mean, because, we're talking almost a hundred over a well over a hundred years ago, right? And uh, who knows? Maybe penguins were way more prevalent. Maybe there was a species of penguin that was more adventurous and or like a weird cross between a giant sloth and a penguin, something like that. In that in yeah. that species, and um, like to hang out in the lake. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, giant pangolins are known to swim, mm. um, you know, so, but I, it's just that thing of like, if, even if locals were to see a giant pangolin, like swimming in the water, they may not know what it is. Right. Cause they may never have seen one before. Right. Like that literally might be the first time they've seen a giant pangolin and you know, there's no photographs that can be handed around. So. Yeah, the, they have Chad, no reference. Chad Kroger's material. ever to come out and be like, "Look at this photograph. Look at this pangolin. Look I took this, this picture pangolin. by Lake Victoria. This is where I hunted jungle walrus. The what pangolin. the hell is on C.W. Hobley's head? This is where I built my camp. Actually, I just kind of smoked my pipe and let the African natives do it. I didn't pay them at all." <laughs> At all, <laughs> when I'm burning, when I'm out there haunting the ding and neck, <laughs> it's there. We need to make a whole a cryptid conspiracy version of just that song. God, it's a good song. We're gonna. That's our commitment to you, bunk funkers. Over the course of the next thirty years, Art and I are gonna rewrite, do parody versions of every Nickelback song. <laughs> uh, but it's gonna be. They're all gonna be about cryptids. Oh man. Um Yeah, I think pangolins are pretty cool though. They're fucking hella cool, dude. Uh it is interesting that they walk bipedally when they walk on all fours, their claws are so big that they can't like walk flat footed. They have to walk on like their sides, like on oh their God. wrists, basically. It's so cute. Because their claws are so big. And their little tails. They're big got big tails actually, but Yeah. Um they're just adorable. They're absolutely adorable. Do you like uh do you like the armadillo? Yeah, armadillos are cool too. Yeah. I like those guys. Curl up into a little ball. They're neat, yeah, they're neat little they're neat little critters. I, I like, like the pangolin critters. better because the armadillo kind of seems just like an armored rat to me. Yeah. So I'm like, mm. kind of a bitch. 
Like, quit fucking curling up, bitch. Don't fucking face me like a pangolin. <laughs> Pangolins curl up too. Yeah, they all go in a ball. <laughs> Poor little pangolins. Oh man, they showed them in like cages and stuff in that movie. Don't watch it, bunk bunkers. It just it just sucks. They're just like people are so bad to animals. God damn, man. John just, Alfred Jordan, you just like I know. Oh, I saw a really weird creature. You know what? I'm gonna fucking shoot this thing. Fuck that thing. Fuck observing it and writing down what it does. I'm gonna fucking shoot it. Look at its ear. I'm gonna shoot the. I'm gonna shoot it in behind its little leopard ear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to shoot it right in the fucking skull. Well, anyway, good that I'm here in colonial Africa. <laughs> you know what? Uh, what's, let's, I mean, what, so pangolins, um, you know, I'm pretty high up on the pangolin, but this dinosaur angle is also fucking cool. I like a dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, uh, you know, obviously there have been like, you know, are we seeing like were we seeing like the last like the last gasp for some kind of creature that has existed since the time of the dinosaur? Maybe. I think there's a lot of people who believe that dinosaurs still exist out in the jungles of Africa. Yeah. These areas where people really haven't been. Well, you know, it's like there's some things like the coelacanth that were like thought to be extinct, but then, you know, we find them again. Uh some uh i forget what it was the species of bird or something that went extinct and then re-evolved from like the dodo no no a cool bird not a stupid fucking dumbass <laughs> bird fucking lame dumbass bird um, damn, let us kill it kill all of them fucking <laughs> stupid birds be pangolins be pangolins don't be the resist extinction don't be fucking don't be the dodo fucking just give in yeah, fucking dodos walking around. Don't trust humans, animals. Any animals listening to yeah. this, don't trust humans. Right. Animals out there, do not trust us. We'll only betray you in the end and eat you. It's true. That's my one goal. Um, I do like a dinosaur, though. Yeah. A dinosaur would be cool. Although, uh, what do you make of the water lions angle? I think that uh, that's probably, I mean, I don't know. The, the way that they're describing them, it's like I looked up a sea lion and I was like, trying to think of like how a sea lion could work and i was like well where the fuck are they getting scales from yeah it's like sea lion ain't got no scales so yeah. well we've never seen the actual body of one so we don't know if it's scales or if it's just an optical illusion mm, trick of the light yeah their heads and stuff would make sense though like yeah. all that shit the small mammalian head with huge teeth that's very saber-toothed cat-like right water lion like yeah um, the water lion has also never been proven though, but it's a wider, you know, kind of, uh, cryptid type of situation than the dingo neck itself. Right. Where it's like, you know, people in, in areas, you know, it's like in, in, in Kenya, there's most of this stuff is happening in like Kenya, uh, and you know, maybe in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. It's like the uh, the water lions are not so much there as they are like further uh, to the west. Uh, but then there's some cave drawings in like South Africa where there's water lions and people think, you know, oh, well, this is. Although it also appears with like other fictional creatures. Hmm. So I don't know. Hard to say. I'm not so convinced, you know, of water lions in general. Hmm. 
And I don't know that the dingo neck, it's like, that's the thing is like this whole thing, this whole creature, the dingo neck, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's like a water lion mated with a pangolin. Yeah. And then we got this, the dingo neck is the offspring. I mean, I don't know. Are you and not- I mean, you shouldn't let your water lions mate with your pangolins. You got to keep them separated. <laughs> you got to keep your pangolins and your water lions separate. Okay. You're just, you're asking for trouble to put them yeah. together. Otherwise you'll end up with the dingo neck, the offspring. Got to keep them separated. Are you buying any of this, uh, Jordan's, uh, John Alfred Jordan's stories? Um, what do you make of that guy? It's a good question. I don't like him. I mean, ivory poacher. Yeah. Uh, big game hunter. It's kind of like, "Mm, sort of lame. But the story itself, I think it's believable. Hmm. You know, obviously he had experience in Africa at this point, but, you know, there's probably still a lot of things that had yet to be classified, you know, for Western people. Right. And, you know, whenever you're seeing anything, you could see something in a way that doesn't seem, even if it's something you know what it is, you can see it in a way that maybe it doesn't register that that's a thing that you know. So I can see why maybe locals were like, uh, this is weird. Uh, and then he goes down and, you know, shoots it. <laughs> shoots at it. Which is like, oh, of course it's going to, like, go away after yeah. that. Like, you know. It's like you could have just sat there and watched for a while to see what happened. It's like, eh, no, let's shoot it. Let's fucking shoot it. Plus it's, like, out on a log or whatever. Like, it's going to be like, what if it just falls into the water? Like, you shoot it, it just falls into the water. Like, you're never going to see anything then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that guy. I can't tell if he's a grifter just trying to sell a good story or if he actually saw something interesting. Yeah. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. You know, um, there's also some speculation that Edgar Beecher Bronson might be the problem here. Really? That uh, because he wrote fiction in addition to memoirs. Right. So he's a fiction writer. So maybe he embellished this. And John Alfred Jordan got like 15 minutes of fame out of it. The 19, you know, the 1910s equivalent of 15 minutes of fame. And so he just kind of ran with it and then used that as a springboard to like, you know, publish other books and get in magazines and stuff. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't, I don't, I think, I don't think that I find him totally distrustful. Hmm. How about that? Like, I'm not to the point where I'm like, I don't believe a thing this guy says. Yeah, fuck this guy. Either one of them. But I don't trust either one of them either. Mm, tough call. Tough call, Andy. I don't know. Does it deserve to be called a fucking walrus? I don't know. I think it's just the tusks. Yeah. The tusks get it to be called a walrus because it's it's got big teeth. It's in the water. Mm. So people go walrus. Although I don't know that it deserves to be called a walrus. What deserves to be called a walrus? A walrus. Yeah. Or whoever the people the Beatles were singing about. Yeah. The walrus was Paul. Mm. They reveal that in Glass Onion. What does that mean? Hmm? What does it mean that he was the walrus? He was the walrus. Paul. The walrus was Paul. Here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. But what does that mean? 
Um, I don't remember being the walrus. Uh, I think that if I'm if I'm getting everything correct in my head here, John Lennon was really into like, uh, I guess what would have been at the time like personality tests based off of uh Lewis Carroll's works. <laughs> um, so Alice in Wonderland, basically. Wow. Looking glass. So you get you get like you do you do a little personality test like that's supposed to be something like you can be the walrus, you know, the Eggman. Mm. That's why it's in there. Which uh, one are you? That's uh, a tough call between you. Yeah, yeah. Am I Tweedledum or Tweedledee? You could be any one of those four things. Yeah. <laughs> Am I a walrus? Am I an Eggman? I mean, I resemble most most uh, <laughs> I res- I have parts of me that resemble both walrus and Eggman. <laughs> Uh, and certainly my personality is Tweedledum and Tweedledee. So it's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to say. It's a tough call. Um, well, I don't know, Andy. I mean, um, I guess we could get to verdicts here. I don't know. Ooh, yeah, we got. Oh, man. Verdict. You know what you're going to say. I got to decide then, I guess, huh? What I'm yeah, going to say about the fucking dingoneck. Jesus Christ. Um. This is a tough one. I'll be honest with you. Is it? I think. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards, I think I, I think it, uh, you know what? Let me look at the scale real quick here, Bunk Funkers. Because I got to, look, I know which way I'm leading. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say plausible plus and a half. Okay. That it was a pangolin. Wow. Going right for the pangolin. There you go. Right for the pangolin, baby. Plausible plus and a half. Plausible plus and a half. That's what I think it was. I think it was some kind of pangolin. Maybe it's an extinct species. It's been a hundred and yeah. like 120 years or whatever since 1900. So yeah, it's been almost 120 years since this time. Who knows? Maybe that species was lost to time. Maybe it was hunted. Maybe it was extincted. Yeah. Maybe it died out. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? You know, it's a pretty convincing argument. Penguins are cool. I'm going plausible plus plus it was a penguin. Wow. Even more so than me. Yeah. And I'm the pangolin guy. And I'll tell and I'll tell you why. I'm I'm high on the pangolin. Um, because I've been smoking pangolin scales for the last two hours. I'm fucking high as hell on pangolin. Um, no, I just kind of feel like, especially the 1978 descriptions, like they fucking just described a pangolin. Yeah. Right? Like they described a pangolin. Um, yeah, with a pangolin, you can't, you can't really like account for the saber teeth of that Jordan reported. But, you know, I also... I also can't say that that's like a hundred percent of a guaranteed, like, you know, like, Oh, well this, I know this wasn't embellished. Right. I know that this is exactly what happened uh, and all that. So it's, you know, and I guess the thing for me is like, you talk about the water lions. Well, we've never found a water lion either. Right. Like we know pangolins exist. Right. We know pangolins would have existed in 1907. Right. If it was an extinct creature, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, you know who knows? Like uh, unless unless local like Maasai people or Kikuyu people like had like some kind of you know collection of uh, 
you know, recordation of, of creatures that right. were there that didn't exist anymore. Like it's hard to, hard to say for sure. So I got to go with the thing that just makes me feel the best, which is a pangolin. And you know, I want to see more pangolins, uh, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I would love to, uh, open a pangolin farm. Uh, or like an old folks farm for retired pangolins. You're going to be like just, the pangolin king. I'll just, and then you you're going to try and murder one of your, uh, fucking. That fucking bitch. <laughs> Carol Baskins. Carol Baskins and her, her goddamn armadillo. Like an armadillo farm. Armadillo reserve. Retreat. Yep. Fucking bitch. I'm never going to financially recover from buying all these pangolins. <laughs> Oh God, Bugsbuckers! Remember that? Guys, remember Tiger King Joe? That Gunk? was over a year ago, and that fucking swept the world um, by storm. Um, great verdicts for, for both of us. Yeah, fucking good. Go us. I mean, get get out there, bunk funkers, and fucking look up pangolins and, and have fun. Have fun with them because pang pangolins. You know what a pangolin is? Also, it's a fun word to say. Pangolin. Pangolin. It's like it's me pangolin. Do you like saying penguin? Yeah, everybody likes saying. Yeah, penguin. everybody likes I saying mean, penguin. You got to say pangolin too. Pangolin. 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 I'm just pangolin along. Um, now the very cute bunk fuckers. Those were our verdicts on the dinganek. Uh, what do you think bunk funkers? Let us know about the dinganek and what you think. Use the hashtag. Uh, I think it's got to be hashtag jungle walrus. Hashtag jungle walrus. Wal jungle walrus. And let us know what you think. Email us mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Bunker Pod. Find us on YouTube. YouTube hey, sorry, Bunk Funkers, if I seem a little bit distracted, but I'm looking at pangolin pictures. And here's a picture of a pangolin with a little pangolin baby on its tail. Wow. The baby pangolin riding around on its mama's tail. That's very cute. It's a very cute photo, Bunk Funkers. If you could see it, you would you would also say, Hey, that's cute. And then you would also say, like, oh my God, how did I get transported to the bunker? Those were the two things you would say. Here's a pangolin resting on someone's shoulder. That's cute. That would be a cool pirate. <laughs> the pangolin pirate. I'm the pangolin pirate with my little pangolin friend. <laughs> my pangolin friend. Penny. Penny the pangolin. Petey the pangolin. Patty the pangolin. Penny the pangolin. Uh, Bunkfuckers, uh, you can find us on YouTube, mrbunker.com, mrbunker.youtube.com, mrbunkerpod. And if you feel so inclined, find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Pod, where you can get new episodes of Andy and Art Debunked, our Patreon-only show, where we have been covering a lot of fun topics. Um, most recently, the life and times of extraordinary people. And uh, before that, we did some serial killers. Yeah. And even before that, some true crime mm -hmm. and a bunch of other random stuff. So... Uh, really great topics on there. Uh, fun. You get access to the Discord channel. We can chat with Andy and I and the Buckfungers. And um, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Buckfungers. We think you're gonna have a good time. You're gonna have a. You're gonna have fun That's the right. way you listen. We, we guarantee we, it. We like the way you look. We guarantee it. Um, Andy. Any last words? Um. No, just let's let's keep pangolins around. For yeah, a while, go pangolins. Don't kill Team the pangolins. pangolins. Team pangolin. Um, 
I agree, Andy. And uh, for not the, 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 the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my Vermilion. Ooh. My Vermilion co-host. Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Thanks, Art. You're one in Vermilion. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.